Please take your Bibles and go to the book of Titus. Titus chapter 2. If you need a Bible, left your phone at home or your Bible, there's a Bible in the chair in front of you. Go to the back of that Bible. It renumbers the New Testament, and you can find page 168. Page 168 on that Bible, Titus chapter 2. We're going through the book of Titus. <clears throat> Titus chapter 2. I'm going to read the first two verses, then we're going to drop down to verses 6 through 10 for this morning in our study for this morning. So, chapter 2 of Titus, again, page 168 in that black Bible, starting in verse 1. Let me read. But you yourself speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, and steadfastness. Verse 6. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds. In teaching pure, dignified, sound speech without being criticized, in order that the opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Slaves, to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing. Not back-talking, not stealing, but showing all good faith that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. I think I've told you this before, my father-in-law enjoys, loves to work with his hands. He's done it his whole life. It actually has gotten him in trouble because he would take things apart, but he couldn't figure out how to put them back together. I have one of my kids who loves to take things apart. Good thing he knows how to put it back together. That's good. But we want to know... um, in a sense, we all like the how-to stuff. I seem to be a little loud, maybe. Don't do the gain, though. <laughs> Remember that? <laughs> that was funny. In a sense, we all like the how-to stuff. For, for example, um, uh, I think it was on Tuesday, uh, Chris was out shopping, I'm studying, I get a phone call, and she says, hey, the window's not going up. And I'm like, what? The driver's side window's not going up. It's just going, like, oh, great. You know, and it was raining that day, right? Remember that? Of all days, of course. <laughs> so she gets home, and, and so I, I call uh, this place we take our van. They said, well, we, we really don't have any time to do it. We can get you in December 20th. <laughs> what am I supposed to do? Cover it? So I'm like, forget it. Get my phone out. YouTube. YouTube has a thing on how to basic. From telling people how to do a plethora of things, from how to uh, pick a lock, to how to make Dalgona candy. I don't even know what Dalgona candy is. Who knows what Dalgona candy is? Laura, of course you would know that, wouldn't you? (laughs) 
two, how to survive squid games. Anybody know what squid games are? Laura, I know you know what squid games are. <laughs> yes, that's right. <clears throat> and how to take the front portion off of your door. So I looked it up. This guy's showing you. So Isaiah's out there helping you take the thing. We fixed it. Like I put a, it was broken. So I put a a, um, PVC pipe. I jammed it up there. And so now it's sticking inside of that. And we put it all back together. So now it's holding the window up. I told Chris, I said, just don't slam the door. (laughs) Don't slam. So I have to gently close it. But there's great. I mean, how to? I mean, who would know that? I don't know. You just look it up. How? How do you do this? That's the big question. How? How do we do these things? Demonstrate the truth. How? Demonstrate the truth. How do we do this? It's actually, we could even say chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Because chapter 2, verse 1 through 10 tells you how. How do you demonstrate the truth? How do you do that? I just went off. Is it you? It's Travis, don't worry. (laughs) How do we do this? How do we demonstrate the truth? Here's some other uh, series of questions. How do we specifically demonstrate the truth in our daily living? How do we do this? Specifically. Another uh, way to put this, there's different uh, questions that I'm asking. Um, What are practical ways, ways is how, what are practical ways we can demonstrate the truth? Practical ways to take this sound doctrine and put it into practice in daily living. How do you do that? What does it look like? Or another question, how can these four, or actually five, should be specific groups demonstrate the truth? And we're going to look at the five different groups. should be five, not four. Five specific groups. He's going to address. Because remember what Titus is all about. When, when Paul wrote the book of Titus, he's trying to tell them our orthopraxy flows out of orthodoxy. Or right living flows from right thinking. Orthopraxy means right living. Orthodoxy means right thinking. Redemption leads to sanctification. God saves us so that he may change us to belong to him and so that we can demonstrate his grace at works. We can demonstrate the truth. We're we're redeemed from lawless deeds so we be zealous for good deeds. Sound doctrine is the basis for sound living because the church in Crete was disorganized, leaderless. They, They were prone to sinful behavior and indifference and Titus needed to appoint Doctrinally sound elders and insist on sound doctrine and godly conduct among Christians. It is so vital to understand that sound doctrine must lead to godly living. We are good reformed people here. Well then let's show it through godly living. Sound doctrine must lead to godly living. 
to have just sound doctrine with no godly living makes no sense as far as Paul was concerned. And sound doctrine is the motivation for these specific life commands. And you'll see that coming out in verses 11 through 15, which we'll look at next week, or no, two weeks from now. Sound doctrine is motivated, motivates us for these specific life commands from Paul to Titus to give to these churches. Our lives can have a huge impact on those around us. So we want to live in a way that the gospel is not defamed, that our godly conduct, it should commend the gospel. The way we live should commend that God should judge us and we're, because we're sinners and yet he's shown us his love. But when the kindness of God and his love for all mankind appeared, he saved us. And we've turned from that sin and we trust in Jesus. That's the gospel. Are you here not a Christian? You should trust Christ. You should come to him. You should become a Christian. You, Jesus is saying, you should come. He'll save you. It's this gospel truth that we, we base everything on and, and we should live our lives flowing out of this gospel truth. Our godly conduct should commend the gospel at work in our lives. So you see these five different groups. Older men, older women. Younger women, and younger men with, with Titus as an example to them We'll talk about that. And then slaves. And this is one of the major ways our relationship should be defined in this church. So as we go through this the next two weeks, today we'll look at older men and then younger men and Titus along with that. So it's kind of third group. Uh, th- second group with the older men but then also we'll look at slaves we're going to do that today next week we'll look at older women to younger women as we're going through this ask yourself these questions am I involved in this kind of relationship is this a major aspect in my life being a part of this church this congregation as a member here according to Paul it should be This is what church life should look like. The older men getting together with the younger men. The older women getting together with the younger women. This is what it should look like. This is what it should be. Am I demonstrating my life that my conduct is is displaying Christ's doctrine and, and am I encouraging others towards that as well? This is what's called discipleship. This is life on life ministry. So here, two through 10 is, this is discipleship. This is what it looks like. Building into each other's lives. And really, verse one is is the key to this whole section in verse two through 10. Verse one, but as for you, literally, but you yourself, as opposed to the false teachers. Speak or teach that which is fitting or that which is proper or that which is in accord with sound doctrine, true Christianity. And then he starts, 
This, this is what it looks like. Verse two through 10. So what, what is it, from verse one, what is it that is fitting or proper for sound doctrine? What is it that's fitting for sound doctrine? What is it that's proper for sound doctrine? As Paul's writing this to Timothy, to Titus, excuse me, not Timothy. He's just writing this to Titus. He's saying, Titus, this is what's good for, actually was writing this to Timothy too because in Timothy 1, Timothy 2, Timothy, this is sound for sound doctrine. This is what looks like Timothy. This is what looks like Titus. What is proper? It's when God's people live their lives in this verses 2 through 10, way. Because remember, good, sound, practical theology always yields good fruit. Good, sound, practical theology always yields good fruit. And remember also, bad theology yields bad fruit. If you have bad theology in a church, it will yield bad fruit. was one writer says, quote, correct doctrine must result in good behavior. So let's jump in now. What, what is, what is, what's proper and fitting for sound doctrine from verse one? Group number one, older men, this is how. This is how you demonstrate the truth. Look at verse two. Older men, everybody else tune out. Take your naps. No snoring. Older, actually, it's the older men who are snoring, right? Us older men, we're the ones snoring. Anyways, older men to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, and endurance. He referred to those who were older in age among the members who may have been more mature in the faith. The natural leaders. But, but even if they had not been Christians very long, they were called to demonstrate the truth in these ways. So you might say, well, I, I'm, I might be older, but I haven't been a Christian that long. So? What's that got to do with anything? As far as Paul was concerned, he didn't care. Oh, you know, Titus, these guys haven't been Christians that long, so let's just not, you know. That's not, that's not in my Bible. It's not there. Paul says it doesn't matter. If you're an older man, here's four characteristics that should display itself in us, us, you, you not, not me, you, older man, you, Vicente. Where's Ward? He's the oldest. He's 98. He turned 98 this year. Four characteristics. Notice he says temperate, which means to be clear-headed. Second, dignified, which means serious, worthy of respect, uh, personal dignity. Notice the word sensible. He's going to use the same word for young men, which means prudent, self-controlled, self-mastery, not so impulsive or knee-jerking all the time type thing. Sensible. Self-controlled. And then he says sound, or better correct, correct. And then he lists off three areas. Faith, love, perseverance. Or faith, 
a healthy trust in the Lord, love, caring and really loving God and his people, perseverance, endurance, steadfastness, and notice if you see when he says being sound correct and, and faith and love and perseverance, you have the three words, faith, love, and hope. So he started with them because they were to be mature. You, us, older men, were to set the example to others. They were called to have spiritual maturity. They were called to be the ones who are the pillars in the church. And of course you have elders, pastors who were, they were the ones who were pillars as well, but then the other men in the church, the older men, they should be pillars. You older man should be a pillar. That's what God calls you to. So all of you older men, are you showing yourself as an example in these four specific areas of your life all because of God's grace having worked in your life? He's gonna give you the basis, the motivation is at the end of verse 10 into verse 11. God's instructing, enabling grace has been at work in my life and he's changed me. This is why I'm acting this way. Because I love Christ, I love his people. And it's true, older men in Titus's culture would be of those well over 50. And yet when you think about it, men, we may be older in more ways than you believe. Yeah, of course you see 70-year-olds, but maybe the 70-year-olds should pour in the lives of the 50-year-olds. Maybe the 50s and 40s should pour their lives in the 30s. What if the 30s poured their lives in the 20s? At that point, maybe the 30-year-olds are the older men how about the 20 year olds pouring their lives into the teens in that case the 20 year olds are the older men see so I mean you see the you can, you can go a lot of different ways with this some of you 30 year olds you're actually the older man in some instances instead of just thinking about Ward because he's 98 how are you encouraged sorry Ward how are you encouraging the younger men to be examples within his body. How are you displaying that? Because God's grace has been at work in your life. Now he moves to younger men. We're gonna go to verse six. Younger men, this is how. This is how you demonstrate the truth. Verse six. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. Now, Titus was to appeal or urge them likewise because as the younger women were to be taught by the older women, so he urged these young men to demonstrate the truth in these ways, which means Titus was probably, maybe he was younger himself, but he's older than these younger men. He was older than Timothy by far. So that's why Paul urged him to be an example to these young men. He, so we're kind of going to put Timothy, excuse me, Titus Timothy was younger, but we're going to put Titus in a little bit older category. And he was. He was older than Timothy. Timothy was probably, Timothy was probably in his 40s. So he used to teach to young men, this is how you young men can demonstrate the truth. Be sensible. Again, he used that word with older men, sensible. 
Be of sound mind. That's what that means. Be reasonable. One writer says, excuse me, quote, cultivating balance and self-restraint in their daily living. Be reasonable. Teach the young men to be reasonable. It's definitely needed for young men because we, they, can just be plain impulsive, unreasonable. They have that knee-jerk reaction. And the young men, right? Remember, guys, when you were young, you used to do the just go, 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 right? And now you're older, like, relax. Hey, relax. I tell the young guys, relax, it's okay. Calm down. Check this out. And older men, you're graciously teaching the younger men this. To be sensible, to be reasonable. With yourself being an example. This is how we demonstrate the truth, men. And now we go to a third group, which is, it's Titus, but I, I kind of put him older men again because he's older, although he's not as old as the other guys, but he's older than Timothy was. So it's like, eh. so basically Titus, this is how. Notice he says in verse seven, in all things show yourself to be an example of good deeds. Now, this could be for the young men directed to them or it could be directed to Titus. I take it directed to Titus in all things. So Titus was to be an example to the young men in all these things, and since he was older than them, we clumped this in with the older men. Again, the older men, they display this, and they teach the young men this way. So here Titus, he's to urge young men to demonstrate the truth through godly Christian living, but he, as their minister, their pastor, he had a huge responsibility to be their example. And not just for them, Titus, not just for them, but for all four groups, five groups. Notice he says, show yourself to be an example, a model in good deeds. He describes the good deeds now. Notice how he describes it. Of good deeds in doctrine, purity, or in the teaching, purity. Purity here means sound or, or with integrity or honesty. And Paul seems when he says the teaching, he puts the article there because he's talking about the teaching of Christianity, the content of Christianity, who Jesus is and what he's done. He'll talk about that in verse 11 through 15. He'll talk about that again, what, verse five of chapter three, six, seven, and eight. That's who he is. So he should have, Titus, he should have integrity in the teaching. Notice the next one, dignified, also in chapter two, verse two, worthy of respect, serious, outward dignity. Verse eight, sound speech, which is above criticism. Uh, His words are to be above criticism so that it has a good effect on those who observe him especially those who wanted to fault Christianity. There'd be no grounds to be accused of evil because notice what he says, in order that 
the opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. Those who oppose us, and not just the full teachers, but anyone opposing Christianity. So he was to demonstrate the truth so that no one has anything evil to say about Christianity. Having nothing bad to say about us. That is something morally bad or worthless to give Christians a bad name. And so that they would be put to shame or, or they uh, would be shamed with, with no grounds to speak evil against us as Christians regarding anything morally evil. Notice how this applies not just to Titus, but to all of us who call ourselves Christians. Our misconduct, especially that of leaders, has consequences for all of us here at Common Bible Church. Our corporate life as members of this church is vital to our witness to the world. It's important for us. It's, it's solemn, serious. How do we live how do we act? How do we respond? Do we respond with grace? It's so hard, especially when that person cuts you off in the traffic. And you just want to tell them they're number one. And you know what I mean by that. It's so vital for us as, as followers of Christ and his church that we display the gospel by the way we live. It's hard. That's why we need God's grace, isn't it? God, give me your grace to display that. Because that's the corporate witness that people see where they can say, oh, wow, they act like that. Oh, they go to the Conway Bible Church. Or, oh, they act like that? Don't they go to that church? See? This applies not just to Titus, not just to you older men, but to really to all of us, doesn't it? So older men, this is how we're to build into young men's lives. Are you building into the lives of men? Men, are you building into each other's lives and taking those opportunities? And we'll end today with slaves. This is the third group. Slaves, which I put up there, the workforce. Slaves, this is how you demonstrate the truth. And before I go into this, um, I, I thought it, was, it would be prudent to talk a little bit about slavery. I, I know we talked about, about it more extensively when we went through First Timothy, which I think was like a year ago. But I'll do it again. But I won't say as much as I said with First Timothy. You can go there. Uh, we went to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul had specific requests, uh, commands to slaves at that time too. So let me just say a few words about slavery in the Roman Empire. Because what's automatically told to you from non-Christians, they say the Bible endorses slavery, right? They say that. Well, no, the Bible does not endorse slavery. The Bible gives commands to people in the situations in which they live. 
That's a difference. It actually shows slavery was not God's plan. And he actually looks down upon it. The law was given to regulate people's sin, not endorse it. See, that's what the Pharisees did with Jesus. Well, why did Moses give him him a permission to write a certificate of divorce? Remember that? What are they saying? They're basically saying that, well, God lets people get divorced. Jesus is like, no, they're not, you clowns. God's not endorsing sin. He didn't say, oh, go ahead. Yeah, it's fine. God gives the law and tells us about things in the law and commands us certain things because we're going to do it anyways. People are going to put people in slavery anyways. So God regulates it. Uh, By the way, keep in mind, slavery in the Roman Empire was way different from slavery in the 18th, 19th centuries throughout the world and specifically in our country, U.S. In the Roman Empire, almost half the population were slaves. Some have even estimated up to 60 million people were slaves. That's a lot of people. And it was prominent, but wasn't relegated to only one particular ethnicity. Although if you were conquered by the Roman Empire, you'd probably be in slavery. But it wasn't about skin color. It was about if you were a Roman citizen. Paul was dark-skinned. Paul was not white, with blonde hair and blue eyes. I'm sorry, nor was Jesus. Probably darker skin. More like Hispanic shade, sorry. He wasn't white. Sorry to bust your bubble about that. But Paul, who was darker-skinned, he was a Roman citizen. So it wasn't about skin color, ethnicity, like it was in our country. Uh, most persons who were slaves were usually treated well. Many were born in the house and trained to perform important, important domestic, industrial, business, and public tasks, not just menial things. They were managers, overseers, those trained in professions like doctors, nurses, teachers, musicians, skilled artisans. They, they were slaves. You might say, yeah, that's my job. I'm a slave. That's another story. Plus, Roman legislation regulated slave treatment, although it was broken. Yeah, that's true. Slaves were normally paid for their services. They could even purchase their freedom. True, one writer says, quote, their legal status, social standing, and opportunity for economic independence were clearly lower than others in Roman society, end quote. Yes, that's true. But again, it's contrasted with the 18th, 19th century slavery that we had in our country and throughout the world, but specifically in our country. So, all that to say, we must be careful. We, we are not reading our context of slavery into the Bible. Don't, you can't do that. You don't take your interpretation and put it into the Bible. You take what the Bible says and pull it out this way. And go that way, it goes this way. Sure, it should have been challenged, of course. But it wasn't necessarily or even immediately practical. Many wanted to stay a slave because it paid the bills. But let me be clear, and I want to say this graciously. For Paul to command these things, like he will, but not say anything about liberation of slaves, 
and then you make the conclusion that the Bible endorses slavery is asinine, ridiculous, and just plain idiotic. Don't go down that road. And I say that graciously. I say that kindly. I say that as people who come against the Bible and they're flippant with the Bible. Let's not come that way with the Bible. It's it's infallible, it's God's word. So we take that seriously. Notice, now, go back to the text, verse nine. Slaves to be subject to their masters in everything. In other words, place themselves under the authority of their masters in all aspects of their service to them. Whoa. Obey them insofar that a Christian can subject to a master without sinning against God and his word. That's how you should treat your master, slaves. That's how you can demonstrate the truth. And notice he says, to be well-pleasing, which means acceptable or give masters, not me, masters satisfaction. Notice he says not argumentative. Literally, it's not talking back, back-talking, or, or answering back. Verse 10, not pilfering, stealing. It was common among slaves. Slaves would just see something small and they would walk by and they would just kind of take it because nobody would notice it was a be gone. And they would go and get money for it. And the master would be like, I wonder what that is. Sleep, I don't know. I haven't seen it. Whatever. Slaves are known to do that. That's why Paul says, not stealing, notice the positive. Verse 10 again, but showing all good faith, literally demonstrating all good faithfulness in the way they were acting toward their masters. In all areas, they should extend this good faithfulness. In other words, they can be trusted. They were dependable. That's why you have that in the workforce. How do you relate that today? The workforce. You can be trusted. You're dependable. And notice the purpose. And this is not just a purpose for slaves. But really, this whole section with older men, older women, Younger women, younger men, with Titus and with slaves, so that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. The purpose was that slaves would adorn or do credit to the gospel, the teaching of God our Savior. Interesting, adorn means to set jewelry in the most attractive way to draw people in to see it. When you're there in the mall, you're walking by and you go, ooh, what's that shiny thing? Ah, it's hitting my eyes. Oh. And you look and there's this big diamond ring. And my wife says, how come I don't have that? I don't know, baby. <laughs> oh, you? No, she doesn't say that. I say, I'm like, how come you didn't buy me that diamond? <laughs> She's like, what? But you see that it, it catches your attention. They make it attractive. They, they put the light just perfect right there in the display thing, right? They went right there. So they go, right? That's what they do. They do that on purpose. That's the way we should be as Christians. 
people are walking by us. I go, oh, what, what is that? Oh, you guys are so different. Oh, wow. Wow, that's, that's beautiful. What is that? Christianity. How do you adorn the gospel with this vaccine mandate? I understand. It should be according to your conscience. And you should live according to your conscience. If you think that's wrong, then you shouldn't do it. Whatever thing you decide to do, let it be done in faith. Because if you don't do it in faith, you're sinning. But as my wife tells me many times, and and it's so good for me to hear this, she says to me, hon, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. It's one thing to say, you're an idiot, I'm not getting that vaccine mandate, you moron. Uh, Probably's not gonna go over so well. Versus, you know, I love this company. I'm glad to be able to work here. I can't, according to my conscience, do this. I, I struggle with this. I think it's wrong. But I want to thank you for being so faithful to me and helping me that I got the ability and the, and the privilege to work here. See, it's all in how you say it. It's all in how we present that. Are we adorning the gospel like a jewel? And, and, and it's, it's hard because it's hard to show grace in that way, isn't it? Which is why Paul says, for the grace of God, verse 11, for the grace of God. It's God's grace, right? So we need grace to show grace. We need grace to show that their lives are so transformed by God, saving them that they commend the gospel message which teaches that God saves God our Savior. He saves in order to change people to reflect and demonstrate His very nature. God our Savior. His grace appeared. I'm a different person. I'm new. I don't live like them anymore. God is our Savior through the Lord Jesus Christ. He's changed me. As we said before, God saves us so that He may change us to belong to Him so that we can demonstrate the truth. His grace at work in our lives. His grace has been at work in my life. Look at this. The gospel is just shining and sparkling. For slaves, for all of us, there is no higher motive than God our Savior saving us and changing us for His glory. It's it's a huge motive, which is why he goes from this part right here, for the grace of God has appeared. That's why he does that. For God's grace has appeared, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and to be different. God was so gracious to me. I'm going to be gracious to you. 
What are practical ways we can demonstrate the truth? These ways, older men, Titus, those in ministry, older men again, slaves being in the workforce, younger men. How do we specifically demonstrate the truth in our daily living? This is how. And ladies, we will get into this for you. Older women to younger women. And we'll see how you can be in this kind of relationship. Because we're asking that question. Am I involved in this kind of relationship, in this church? How, how can I connect with people in this way, in this church? How am I doing that? Not because I have to. Oh, Jim said we're supposed to. I don't want to do that. Because you want to. It's desire that you have. Take advantage of that. Let's pray. It's when your kindness, O God, our Savior, and your love for humanity, when it appeared, you saved us. It's your grace. Your grace has saved us. And it's your grace that has changed us. Ah, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for all the times where we just don't do that. We act so stupid. Because that's why you had to die. And so we pray as we remember the gospel, remember your forgiveness, remember your salvation, remember that you've taken all our sins upon yourself. So mold us and shape us to be a people that are zealous for good deeds, a people who belong to you, who display you. Help us to be diamonds on display. Demonstrating the truth as diamonds on display by your grace because we love you we want to glorify you I want to encourage you as we do each week we'll take a few moments of silence it's like a minute or so where you can reflect back upon the truth that we've seen from God's word, where you can fill your mind with truth. We'll sing a couple songs. We'll pray. Just let this time for you to be able to focus. Time between you, time between you and the Lord to to let your mind be filled with his truth. To ponder what we've seen and be encouraged from what God's word has called us.
to be as his people. Would you please do that now? Just take a few moments and do that, please.